Well, this week is our last week on Who's the Boss? And just for if you've been away, uh, missed the first two. We've, we looked at two uh, other kings. Um, the first king was uh, King Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah. Uh, Israel had already fallen at that point in time. And he, if he had just humbled himself and had done what uh, Isaiah told him to do, he would have saved him so much pain in his own life, in the life of his family, and especially for the life of, and the country of Judah. But he failed to humble himself because he was large and in charge. He was the king. And too often, this is where we struggle. We want to be the boss in our own lives. And we will not humble ourselves. So that was Zedekiah. Then last week, we looked at Rehoboam. Only the fourth king of um, um, Israel... And yet we don't know much about him because of the choices he made. And because he did not set his mind to seek the Lord, as the um, chronicler put it, he did not sort of intentionally say, I'm going to seek God in what I do. He actually doesn't actually say what he did seek. He didn't seek God. And because of that, he ended up in a place that he didn't want to be with his head in his hands. He, was, he ended up at the end of his life with about 15% of the kingdom that his father Solomon, his grandfather David had. He ended up have, coming from such a great legacy, but he ended up with so little in the end. And today, as we finish up, we're going to come to a king that kind of, I suppose, tops the charts in some ways. Um, you could look at doing that. And... He actually, um, he was king in Israel, so of the ten tribes in the north, he was king in, in Israel, and he actually got credited with being one of the most evil kings there was. Imagine putting that on your resume. Most evil king. Yes, I've, I've won. You don't really want to brag about those things. Like, a lot of the kings had that phrase in, as you read through, um, first and Second Kings and Chronic, First and Second Chronicles. You will often see the phrase, and they did evil, like their father, whoever, whoever, and did not follow after God. Ahab gets the credit for being the top of all of them. And to make it even worse, he actually went, okay, um, and because he it was he was an evil king in, in one way, because he had he actually had his oldest son and his youngest son killed just to prove a point, like evil. Um, he instituted idol worship. He just didn't allow and encourage people to go, hey, here's some other gods you can go worship. He actually instituted idol worship throughout the country. So it wasn't just allowing, he actually forced people into worshipping idols. And if you remember, one of Elijah's encounters with, with, was with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. So at that point in time, Elijah was it as the prophet of God and then you had all these other prophets. Because Ahab and his wife Jezebel had got that happening. And, and not only was he willing to go against God, what God wanted, he actually stepped up and he married the most wicked woman in the world at that time, Jezebel. And the thing is, that name is like, the wickedness of that woman is so synonymous that you sort of, like if someone breaks up a marriage, they call them a Jezebel. And that's why you don't go to baby showers and go, yep, or, or naming or dedications. What's this little girl called? Jezebel. We don't call people Jezebel because it's got such a bad rap because of her. And so when you bring two evil people together, it doesn't just add on. It kind of multiplies. And so they were the, the, the evil power couple king of Israel. 
Now, most of the stories about the kings, if you are interested in reading through the stories of the kings in, in, in those chapters, in those books we've been talking about, most of them sort of have a chapter or a section and a little bit of a brief story about this is something they did or this is something they didn't do and they, they should have. Ahab's story actually goes over a number of chapters because God, for whatever reasons, opens up and lets us have a bit more of a, a, an insight in his life. And so he would go on and do um, some horrible things. But the thing is, and, and this is the thing, you might be wondering, how does this apply to me? Because you go, you know what? I, I would never be like Ahab. I would never be someone who lives in such an evil way. But what I want to look at, I want to look at the thing that Ahab did that actually put him over the line with God. That God said, I've had enough of what you're doing and I'm going to basically end your rule. I'm going to end your reign. I'm going to take you out and, and basically I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to pronounce judgment upon you. That thing that he did is something that we probably can relate to. Now, some of you are probably going, oh, I'm, I can relate to Ahab. Well, I think you, will, you probably will as, we, as you look at it. And, and the thing is, um, see, Ahab had his heart set on something. And this is the problem. His heart was set on something that you wouldn't believe. It was a vegetable garden. That's right. The sin of having vegetables. Now, for the kids out there, you're going, see, mum and dad, look, it's in the Bible. We shouldn't eat vegetables. Although that's not what I'm quite trying to say. Probably a good thing that Bert's not here after all the work he's put into the garden out there because um, he might think I'm talking about him. But it was, it was not the vegetable garden sin that put him over. It was, it, the big deal was it was the desire for something that he didn't have but he wanted. Um, he wanted to plant a vegetable garden um, right close to where he was uh, in, his, in his summer holiday home and he looked next door and they went, oh, there's something there right for me. And so, um, going back to the reading this morning in, in 1 Kings 21.1, it says, Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel. Now, so, first of all, Ahab wasn't from Jezreel. He ruled from Samaria. But he was in Jezreel, and this was like his holiday castle. Like, for those of us who have holiday castles, like, we kind of can relate to that. Those who don't, um, well, you're not like Ahab in that way, at least. Um, but he was... Uh, from Jezreel and um, Naboth owned a vineyard and beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So basically verse 2 picks up, And one day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I'll pay for it. Now if you look at that verse by itself, it says that he's trying to do the right thing. I said, I'll give you an upgrade of land. I'll give you a better vineyard or a bigger vineyard. I'll, I'll even give you some money and that, so you can go enjoy life. You can retire early. It doesn't sound like it's too much. Um, but so, so, so far it seems reasonable. But I, I want to ask you a question at this point in time. When is the last time you really wanted something? And I'm not talking about driving into a shopping centre and going, hope I can get a park in the shade close to the door. Like, uh, most of us drive in with that intention, um, but we're, we're kind of okay if we have to walk a little bit. Um, we don't sort of sit sort of like pouting because we can't get a close park. But it could be something like, and, and we live in a very technolo technological world, it could be the latest phone. 
You're seeing this, you're waiting for that. And each year, you'll find um, Samsung and iPhone, they'll do like a release of this is the new phone that's coming out. And they actually broadcast it. So in our world, like this is very evident, because, like, and people will, will stay up late to watch this broadcast of the latest phone and go, and then it goes, I can't wait to get one. And then people actually line up, they'll camp overnight to get a bit of technology. And you go, oh, for some of you, you go, I can't believe that happens. But maybe that's not the issue that catches us. Maybe the thing that we really wanted is something relational. Maybe we want more friends or a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or, or, or something. We, we have a desire for something uh, relational in our lives. It could be something like a new position or a job or business opportunity that we're really craving in our life. It could be a house. I can't wait to get our house and, and live in it and once we get there, everything's going to be great. Some of you are in a house, I can't wait to get that new house that I've, we've been saving up for or, 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 or the new renovations that we really want. It could be something for your kids. I, I really want my kids to be able to get into that school or into that, that team of sport or, or have this opportunity so they can do that and they can thrive in their life. Something that you really wanted. But then I've got a second question that goes with that. Is there anything really wrong with that? wanting things and, and, and desiring things and, and going, yep, we're, we're pursuing that. Is there anything really wrong with wanting something really bad in our lives? See, most of the time our wants aren't even things that we go looking for at times. Sometimes you, you just have to be walking into a certain shop and all of a sudden um, you see something that go, I never even knew I wanted that, but now I can't live without it. So it just pops up on us. Um, we've, my wife has just bought this Tupperware pressure cooker. Now, like I, I, I'm not selling Tupperware right now, but it is amazing. It, it actually, we do seafood risotto in there, we do silver side in there, put it in the microwave, cooks it all, and we're, we're looking for opportunities to use it um, in this coming year at different things we're doing. But, but the thing is, four months ago, I was not even aware it existed. And all of a sudden, my wife saw it at a Tupperware party saying, oh, I really want to get that. And then we, we sort of... Um, and so all of a sudden, it became a desire and we, we got it and, and we're going to use it like... And, but for some of you, you might see that latest gadget like, oh, if I buy this gadget, it'll cook all the food I want on my bench. And some of you may have cupboards and benches that are full of stuff that you thought you wanted and that you never use. Like, um, and, and some of you guys, it might be your shed that's full of stuff that you thought you wanted and that you may never use. Um, and, like, and that's the thing, oh, my, my wife and I, not that we go too often now, but we'll go to Ikea and we'll walk in there and all of a sudden there's things that we did not know existed that all of a sudden we think we want in our lives. Oh, we, we have to do something like that. Maybe, maybe you're not content with your job. Maybe all of a sudden you've got it, or maybe you're content with your job and all of a sudden you realise that someone you work with, they get paid more money than you. Or someone does a different job and they get paid more money. All of a sudden you're oh, well, I want more money for, for, in my life. Maybe they've got more options. Maybe they have a car that they drive with work or maybe they have a better office and you've sort of got this little box that you work in. Or maybe you sort of work from home or something like that and, and, and you go, oh, I do, I do want something a little bit more. And all of a sudden you're no longer content with what you have. Maybe it's your home and, and as you see what other people have, all of a sudden, you need to do something like that at our place. You see people got, oh, this renovation, you go, oh, we should do that. We should do that. 
So the singles have got a pearl. Now the roses need to get a pearl. Like all of a sudden, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, we, we want that in our lives. And it, it's not that we go looking for a want; it just appears. And this is the same thing happened for Ahab. He's just chilling in his palace. He looks over. He sees this great space of land that's so convenient for him, and goes, "I've got to have this. I've got to have this." And what starts off as a want potentially grows. Especially if you can't get it or if it's difficult to obtain. Sometimes when we, we long for things, all of a sudden it creates that desire in us. And what happens, it goes from a want, oh, I would really want that, to a want. I really want that. I really want to have that in my life. I, I, I've got to have it. And so... It's no longer the parking space want where we want to drive in and find that convenient parking space. There are things that um, where so the parking space, the walk won't kill us. But when we get to the point where we want those big wants in our life, all of a sudden it takes our focus and we give it so much attention and all of a sudden it goes from being this really big want to a need in our life. So it goes from a yeah, want to a want to a need. And it's not like a need in the sense of food and water and clothing, but it's a need in the sense of that I can't get past this, I can't be happy without this. That's where it's, it, we get to. And, and do you know in the Bible there's actually a word for this? It's not a word that we actually use very often. Um, it's basically coveting. It's to covet, to, to want something that we don't have. And when something goes from a want to a want, to a need, it's called coveting. And as I said, it's not a word that we use much these, these days And because I'm assuming most of you have not used that word this week in a sentence. If you have, I'll be impressed. Um, but we don't, we don't use that word very often. I, I, I'm trying to think of it this week. When's the last time I heard that word used uh, other than people reciting the Ten Commandments? But it's kind of extinct from our vocabulary. And it's not something that our culture actually thinks about too much in the sense of the biblical way. Um, we won't, don't worry about it so, too much because it's actually very commonplace to want what you don't have. In fact, our, most of the marketing of the word actually creates that desire. You need this in your life to be happy. Um, and, 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 the, the, like, and it goes from everything from simple things. So you'll be sitting there after having this great dinner, you sit down, and all of a sudden McDonald's flash up saying, you need this in your life to be happy. And, you're going, and all of a sudden, some people go, you know what, I, I do need that. I'm full, but I, I need what's flashing across in front of my eyes. Or whatever that thing is that comes up in front of you. And the problem with coveting, though, is that it seems so vague when it comes to the idea of sin. Because um, none of us get to the point and say, you know what, I think I just coveted. I'm so ashamed of myself, I've just coveted and God, God forgive me. No, we don't do that. But if we've, we've, if we've nicked something from our office and stolen from our parents, if we feel like killing our boss and strangling them, all of a sudden we go, oh, I know I've done the wrong thing. If you get to the point you feel like strangling your boss, you might need to talk to someone. You might sort of go, oh, you know what, I, yeah, I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. God forgive me and I need to get therapy. But coveting is not that way. And the reason why this is, I, I, is because, and it starts to get a bit ugly because what we, all our culture has done 
We've actually taken sin to covet and actually made it a value in our society. It's actually become a value, something that we actually celebrate and, and lift up. Because the pursuit of getting what you want, getting what you need, is a value in our Western culture. Um, in fact, if you don't have desire for things to get, um, whether that's gear, whether that's promotion, whether that's upgrade of a house or new car, or if basically they say you don't have drive or ambition. If you are not in pursuit of stuff, you need to sort of get a goal, you need to work for, um, for it and, 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 and pursue that. You're not going to amount to much because you are not driven. On top of that, when someone pursues something, overcomes every obstacle to get what they want, to get that need in their life, we end up saying, you deserve it, you've worked so hard for it. You see how all of a sudden we've taken something that is sin and we've made it a value that we celebrate in our culture. Um, and so, so when we unintentionally elevated this value to the point where we ignore the biblical command of you shall not covet, we've ended up praising it, but it is still going against what God wants for us. And getting back to Ahab, this is what caused God to say, I've had enough of you, Ahab. This is the end. You've coveted something that wasn't yours. And God says, I'm done with you. I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to punish you. So the question is, how do you know if you're coveting? Because all of us want stuff, but a lot of us want stuff down here where it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd like a chocolate bar before I, I go to bed tonight. Or I'd, I'd, I'd like my husband to take me out for dinner this week or next week. Or um, I'd like to get um, this happening. Or I'd like to go and, and get some new shoes. And, but it's not all consuming. It's stuff we want, but it's not all consuming. See, the, the thing is, when it comes to other sins, you know if you've killed somebody. You, you know what's happened. You've, you've, you, okay, well, the, the police are there and, and all of a sudden everyone becomes aware of what you've done. You know if you've stolen something. It's very, you're very aware. Like I've taken something that wasn't mine, put it in my pocket and I've walked away with it. You know if you've committed adultery. We're not ever in question about that. But with coveting, how do you know when you are coveting? Or like, I don't know if this is actually the correct biblical term, but when you are a coveter. Like we were adulterer, if you committed adultery... I'm not sure if you're a coveter, if you covet. But the thing is, it's actually easier than you think um, when it comes to knowing whether you have a struggle with coveting. Um, so let's pick it up from verse 3 in um, um, 1 Kings 21. But when Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So straight away, Naboth actually says, Well, God says I can't do it. Now, sometimes we find people in life, they will play the God card, saying, Oh, God says I can't help you out today. Um, but that wasn't what Naboth was doing. Because basically the land that was given to the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, it was actually an inheritance that was given to their tribe. And God says that is your land now, from now and forever. And even if you got into a bit of financial difficulty, you could actually lease out your land to maybe someone from a different tribe and they could come and grow crops on it. But it was only for a set amount of time. That land was forcibly given back to the original owners. And so you actually see Ahab actually breaking one of the rules that God wanted by even asking for that. And so Naboth was in the position where he had to say no. And so we pick it up in verse 4. So this is after he got told no. The king has been told no. After seeing this great vineyard where he wants to put a veggie patch in, he's got told no. 
So verse 4, so Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer and the king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. He is throwing a tantrum. He is a king who's throwing a tantrum. In fact, um, oh, well, Bert and Alison aren't here. Yesterday, as we were wrapping up from the barbecue, Caleb was there with me and he actually had a few moments like this. And he actually, he actually went up to the door of the office work store, knew the door would open, so he stopped short of that, and he turned and faced the door. He did exactly that. He had his moment where, you know what? I'm turning my face to the wall. I'm not going to lose you. I'm upset. This is what Ahab did. He, he couldn't get what he wanted, and he became so emotionally upset by it. And this is the thing. When your face is to the wall, you can't see anything else. And your face is to the wall, you can't see anything else. How many of you have ever really wanted something and when you couldn't get it, it became like a wall in your life in front of you? It's all you could see. You, you're trying to find ways for it to happen. It's actually captured your attention. It's actually captured your attention. And, this is, and that is what happened to Ahab. It got to the point that it not only captured his attention, it was now ruling his emotions. He was angry and he was sullen, he was moody, he didn't want to eat his food and because he was upset because he couldn't get what he wanted. And what about us? When we couldn't get what we couldn't get our big want, all of a sudden we can become hyper focused on it. Did did anger struggle do we struggle with anger? Did it frustrate you? Did it grab your emotions? For Ahab it not only ruled his attention and his emotions, but it also got to the point where it led to ruling his actions as well. And in verse 5, we, we see his wife come and go, you know what, I'm going to help out my upset husband. You sort of think, oh, she's doing a good thing here. She's trying to cheer her husband up. But this is what, this is what she does. What's the matter? His wife Jezebel asked him. What made you so upset that you're not eating? I can see that you're upset. All this great food that the king has got and you are got your face sitting in the bed sort of with arms crossed, with lips drop, looking at the wall, maybe sort of huffing every now and again. What's the matter with you, Ahab? And then verse 6, I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused. Ahab basically, I did everything I could to get something that I wanted. And the other person, they're just not being helpful. Oh, they're a horrible person. And then Jezebel said, are you the king of Israel or not? And Jezebel demanded, get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I will get you Naboth's vineyard. Now, before you think, oh, maybe she's got some more better negotiating tactics or maybe she's got a better marketing. Maybe she's got like, um, she basically did something that was not acceptable. This is, this is where God said, I've had enough. Because basically what happened, she said, you know what, I'm going to get some false witnesses to, to say Naboth was saying horrible things about God. And because of that, he was executed. All of a sudden, his land is made available and Ahab jumps in and, and relishes at the fact. But you know what, Ahab knew exactly what was going to happen. And so all of the point, it got to the point where because of his, his desire for this, it ruled his focus, his attention, it ruled his emotions and it actually ruled his actions. He was more than happy to go along with what Jezebel did. And it happens for us as well. 
because basically all I have needed was someone to say, you deserve this, you should go after it, you should fight for this. And because of that, he did something that was totally against God's will. It happens for us. That thing that captures our attention, that grabs a hold of our emotions, takes root in our heart. And so this is how you know if you're coveting. If what we covet, because what we covet, we actually crown king in our life. We make it the boss of us. It actually rules over us. For some people, I've seen them pursue an ideal house for, for, for 15, 20 years, trying to get to that right place, and it becomes the thing that will demand, that, that's, that's their motive for everything. Or maybe it's having more money, or maybe it's having more significance, maybe it's having a bigger church or, or a, a more successful ministry. It becomes the sole pursuit of what they want, and it becomes king, it becomes boss in their life, telling them what they should do, and even to the point saying, Anything is okay if it achieves that goal. It begins to rule your life. It begins to rule your focus and emotion. And we know what it is like to get our minds so set on something. And so my question for you right now is, what rules my attention and what rules my emotions? See, coveting starts in our hearts well and truly before it becomes public. It starts in our heart before it moves beyond us. And so we need to understand that like, and ask that question, what is ruling my attention? What is ruling my emotions? And again, that's not going to be the same for each one of us. That's going to be very different. Because all of a sudden we may want different things. Like, okay, for, for some of you, you young people, you might be wanting popularity. You might be wanting, oh, everyone else has got a boyfriend or girlfriend and I want, I want something like that too. And all of a sudden, you're wanting what everyone else has for the sake of feeling more important. For some of us, you might be working that job and going, you know what, I want that better job so I can get better things, so I can feel more important about myself. And so all of a sudden, what you're trying to do is fulfill a need in your life that God is meant to fulfill. And so we actually need to go, what rules my attention and what rules my emotions? Well, we need to realise also that coveting is a private sin that always goes public. Eventually, at some point in time, people will see what you are pursuing. We can hide it for a time. It is a private thing. Like There, there are things in my life that, that you may never know about me because they're in here. Some of them are good. Some of them are good. And, and coveting is one of those things. It starts in here. But eventually, if I'm pursuing something and I'm pursuing it and it becomes the goal of what I'm doing, all of a sudden people go, you know what? That end goal is not worth the way that you're going for it. But, yeah, it, doesn't bother, like, it won't bother me if I have become something that I'm coveting to that point. So I want to ask you a few questions right now to actually sort of, for you to think through if you are stuck on something, if you are coveting something. Now, some of these questions may not apply to you. That's okay. But let, let God sort of sp to speak through these questions right now. Okay. What happens when someone around you gets something that you want? And again, different generations, different situations, it's going to be different things. But when, when someone around you goes, you know what, I've been wanting that for ages and I've really deserved that. What happens when someone around you gets something that you want? It could be a job that you wanted. 
and you think, I deserve that job more than them. I've been working hard on my life. I should, I should God, even sometimes we go, God, I deserve that job. We, we actually want God to agree with our covenant. What happens when you go to someone else's house and you see their stuff? You walk into their home and going, oh, wish my home. I can never, like, I, I can never invite them over to my home now. Not the way my home looks. I need to make my home like theirs and before I can get them to come around my place. What happens when one of your friends gets something or does something that you want to do? So for our young people, you, you, not that any of you are there yet, but like, again, a few years' time, oh, one of my friends are engaged. Oh, I'm not. Oh, they got married and I'm not. Oh, they're having babies and I haven't. All of a sudden, oh, they've moved away. They've moved out of home. I haven't. And all of a sudden, we can focus on what others have got and create a desire in us. But that doesn't mean that you older people aren't sort of in that situation as well. Because again, you might see one, oh, they've moved into a home. Oh, they've got that new car. They've got that new opportunity. They've, oh, they've got, they've got, and I don't. What happens when you hear how other husbands treat their wives or you hear how other wives treat their husbands? What is that thing that always disappoints you? What is, the, what is that thing that, that makes you angry or just keeps eluding you when you don't have it? What is that thing that makes you sad because you'll never think you will get it? What do you want that no one else knows about? What is it that you want that you would think would make you really, really happy? What came to mind when I asked these questions? What is that thing that God is speaking to you saying, you know what, that's the thing that it's captured your attention. It's ruling your emotions and it's going to rule your actions if you keep your focus there. But this becomes a question then. If there is something on your heart right now and, and you, if, if something has come to mind, you know what that is. This is a question that you need to ask honestly. Is it worth shrinking your life down to that one thing? Ahab was the king of Israel who had many vineyards, who had at least two castles, who ruled the army, had all the good food, but he shrunk his life down to desire for one vineyard. He shrunk it down to that one thing. He wasn't judged until that point. Yeah, Elijah had said many bad things about him, but it was that thing that pushed him over the edge in God's eyes. And sometimes we get to the point where we are desiring something so much that it becomes a thing that defines us. But the problem is, some of the things that we desire, we don't want to be defined by. We don't want that on our graves home, saying, Keith wanted this so much in his life. He's a bit of a loser, actually, for pursuing that. Like, there's so much more he could have lived for. But that's what he wanted. Do you want to be defined by that one thing? Do you want to let it rule your life? Because again, as I said, that thing that we covet, you actually give it the authority to be king in your life. You give it the authority to rule in your life. And so not only are we taking away the control from ourselves, we're definitely taking the control away from God. But we are living our life according to a heart's desire that is nowhere near the will of God. And I was thinking about this, this is not in the PowerPoint, so don't, don't, don't worry about looking at this. 
I was thinking about this this morning, it's coming over, and the verse came to me, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where the thing that you value most, that's where you will put your attention, your passions, your efforts, your focus, your emotions, and in the end, your actions. But if your treasure is something that you would not be willing to stand up and go, you know what, this is what I'm pursuing in life. This is what I, this is, if I did this, my life would be perfect. And there are things that I want that I go, oh yeah, they're, they're goals, but they're not sort of driving me. But there are some things, you know, there, that are in there that I go, you know what, oh, I can't wait till that happens in my church or that happens in my family or that happens like, oh, I can't wait till all the, the, the bills are paid off and I can live like a, a wealthy pastor. I'll have to work till about 250, I think, and I might be there. But the thing is, if, if they become desires that rule everything else, all of a sudden we lose our way very quickly. And we find ourselves in a way where we are, we are coveting. We are, we are living for a desire of something that is not godly and is not something that will bring about the best for us. So if there is something that came to your mind today, I pray that you actually take the time to actually deal with that with God. And again, it's going to range. I, I, I doubt that it's going to be the same for, for people. Like It's going to be different for our children. It's going to be different for our older people. Your desire might be to, to have better relationships with your wider family and you'll do anything to do that, but then you may compromise who you are to do that. You might be saying, you know what, I, I just want to, be, I want to be successful. And to be successful, that means I'm going to do this, that and that. And I'm going, I know God doesn't really want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I want to be successful. And sometimes we, it's, we, we get to the point, maybe a bit too late, where what we've coveted, we've got. And because we've got it, all of a sudden we're stuck in a path where we feel, I can't come back from this. And I, I disagree with that. I, sometimes I think it's very hard to come back from things. But it's not impossible. I've seen people marry the wrong person and then go... And I, I suppose in our world, like, I'll just get a divorce. That becomes the easy way of going about it. Oh, that was not not really important thing. But in saying that, sometimes let's work hard on getting back to where God wants us to be. It's not going to be an easy thing, but let's let's work hard on that. Maybe you've... You've got yourself into debt because of your desire. Or maybe we need to sacrifice. Maybe we need to get rid of some of those things so we can get back to a place where I'm not, where what I desired is not ruling my actions, is not dictating what my life will look like. And so I pray today that you would answer that question before God and, and, and actually take time to deal with that because it is not worth shrinking your life down to one thing that is not in God's will for you. Let's just take some time to pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you give us opportunity to follow you. But you also give us opportunity to make our own mistakes, to walk where we see fit. Uh, too often, Lord, when we do that, we're at a point where we, are, we don't even realise how much we hurt ourselves, maybe even hurt others around us. And Lord, I, I pray that we would be open to your examination today. That when we ask that question, what is that thing? that we, we are letting rule in our life, that we have crowned king in our life, that we have made boss of what we do. 
when we become aware of that, Lord, I, I pray that we would be willing and have the courage to make the necessary steps to, to set our path straight. I pray that if we have done things that have hurt people to pursue our desires, that we would be willing to ask for forgiveness and to make relationships right. If we put ourselves into a situation where we feel trapped by, by debt or other things, that we'd be willing to sacrifice for the sake of being in obedience to you. I pray that if our desire for the things of this world are, are ruling over your desire for us, I pray that we see clearly, as we sung before, be now my vision, my Lord of my heart. Let us see clearly the way that you desire for us to go and that we wouldn't get lost in the myriad of wants that come up around us all the time. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would, um, we would know and we'd be honest with you and you would be clear with us that thing that, is, that has grabbed our heart, that has grabbed our focus and is leading us to a position where we are not walking with you. I pray that we can confess that, that we can get to a point where we actually are seeking repentance and to, to acknowledge our sin, to, to ask for forgiveness and to turn and make a new path in obedience to you. I pray that we'd seek help where we need it in this area, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for showing us your truth. Um, we give you permission to speak into our lives today as we, as we seek to be open to your leading. We pray this in your name. Amen.